Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Rockin' Retrospect. I'm your host, Nick Bamback. Today, I'm joined by a very special guest, the wonderful Tom Lane. When I first became interested in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame many years ago, one of the first blogs that I read was written by Tom Lane. And what it stuck out to me about Tom's blogs is they were short, concise, but more importantly, they were well argued and researched. I've always enjoyed his writings and takes on not only the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, but popular music in general. He is just one of the few people I would say, honestly, that I would consider an expert on all things Rock Hall. And he's also one of the most humble, nicest people I know. Just an overall really terrific guy. How's it going today, Tom? Wow. Well, that's a, a heck of an introduction that I don't think I've ever gotten in my life, actually, to think about it. Not even uh, all those years I worked for the uh, Postal Service. I, on my retirement party, I never got that kind of uh, praise. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, uh, it's, like, uh, it's like, here's your plaque and uh, you're leaving us, so get the heck out of here. That's about all I got back in those days, but uh, thank you very much. Anytime, Tom. I'm just honored that you agreed to come on the show. And honestly, I wanted you to be one of the first guests because you have a love for R&B music, right? That's like one of your favorite genres. Definitely. I mean, it's it's a genre that I started really loving back in the 70s, like the mid-70s when I was maybe 10, 11 years old already. And it just has blossomed to where I am now. I mean, I just love that whole era going back all the way from the 50s, 60s, 70s, 80s. So yeah, it was uh, definitely a golden time. You know, the group we're going to talk about today is definitely near the top of that list. It was so funny because this is one of the few episodes where I I know Tom loves the spinners and he's written articles about them and has tweeted about them and put put them on Facebook. And I know it's one of his favorite groups. And I was thinking to myself, it would be wonderful for Tom to talk about one of his favorite R&B groups. And that's, of course, the Mighty Spinners. Now, Tom, when did you first discover the Spinners? Well, I think the first time, I always knew their early hits. Mm-hmm. I always knew... It's a shame, and I always knew I'll be around because I listened to the radio back in those days, mainly just top forty radio. That's all I all I listened to, and of course they were crossover hits for them. The first time that I really really noticed them was around the summer of nineteen seventy four. That's the year I became a diehard listener to Casey Kasem's American Top Forty in the summer of seventy four. When I first started listening to that countdown religiously, the Spinners had just hit the charts in that summer with Then Came You, their duet with mm-hmm. uh, Dion Warwick. That's the first time I really noticed them because it's the first time I started really paying attention to what was on the charts at that time. And what was on the charts at that time was a lot of Philly soul. Mm-hmm. I mean, that summer you had Blue Magic Sideshow on there. And you had other hits on there earlier in the year from the stylistics and the sound of Philadelphia, the instrumental and the spinners earlier that year also had mighty love. It finally got to me that I really like the Philly sound was really sticking out for me. And that's when I really first started paying attention to the spinners. 
And then the, the following year, 1975, they had another big hit with Games People Play. And my sister had the 45 single of that song. She didn't have a lot of 45s, but when she played them, she played them continuously. Those two songs are what put me over on the spinners and also on Philly Soul. I mean, 1974 was just a huge year. Like I said, for Philly Soul, it was a big breakout year, not just for uh, Gamble and Huff, but for Tom Bell. I lived in Germany in 1974. My dad was in the military. We were stationed there. They didn't have many stations to listen to. Back in that era, I wasn't a big channel surfer. I kept it on one channel, and that was Armed Forces Radio. And the only time I really listened to the radio was on weekends. And that's when they first started playing American Top 40. And so hearing all these different types of music, especially the Philly Soul, I was off. So I was a fan through the rest of the decade. Not just the Philly Soul, but all kinds of soul. It's one of those time periods, like people always say about Motown and Stax in the 60s. But 70s Soul is just phenomenal. The sheer amount of talent and the sheer amount of Mm. brilliant music that came out of not only Detroit, but Philadelphia and Los Angeles and New York. It's just, it's it's astonishing how wonderful it is. And it's so funny because with uh, Then Came You, that was their first number one song, both for The Spinners and Dionne Warwick, which yeah. I didn't know until I started researching because I thought Dionne Warwick had a number one yeah. hit and she didn't up until that point. You would think she would have had something before that. That song hooked me on The Spinners because it did go to number one. And of course, when you go to number one, you get played a lot. That was the one that put me over And of course, Philly Soul, when you think of the 70s, I mean, the Mm -hmm. sound of Philadelphia, I mean, was it the biggest label of, biggest R&B label of the decade? It probably was. I mean, Stax was still hot in the early 70s. Motown was uh, popular. The sound of Philadelphia and that Gamble and Huff and Tom Bell sound, it was just all over throughout much of the decade. Wasn't there that song to um, the sound of Philadelphia, like MFSB, I think? Like mother, yeah. father, brother. No, mother, father, sister, brother. Yeah, MFSB. And that was early in 1974. And mm-hmm. Gamble and Huff wrote that. And it went to number one. And eventually, and it was also the, the Soul Train theme. Yes. I did not know that yeah, that's, until yeah. many years later. And uh, that was the number one song. I mean, how hot can you get? I mean, 1974. I think it was Philly Sound's biggest year. There's also... We haven't talked about it yet, but like the OJs and Harold Melvin and the Blue Notes. And it's just so much wonderful talent that just came from that one city. And what's really ironic to me in many ways is that the Spinners did weren't even from Philadelphia. They were from Detroit. And it's weird that they became bigger going somewhere else. It, it astonishes me in so many ways. Yeah, the Spinners... So- They start out in 1954, basically. And here's one of the kings of Philly sound. And none of the guys are from Philadelphia. But no, none of them were from Philadelphia. All of them were from nearby Detroit. All of them went to the same high school down there. That's how they formed the group. Did they have like many name changes, like the Detroit Spinners? Yeah, the first name they came up with in, in when they started out in 1954 was the Domingos. That was the first name they came up with. And when Bobby Smith 
joined the group in 1956. And a few years after he joined the group, he and the group decided to change the name because the Domingos was too similar to all the other groups of that era, the Flamingos and the Moonglows and the Dominoes. So they changed the name to the Spinners. And, you know, for a long time, I thought the, the name the Spinners had to do with, well, spinning records. And it doesn't have to do with that at all. Bobby Smith was a big car enthusiast. Yep. And he got the name from the hubcaps on Cadillacs that would spin. Yeah, I didn't know that either until I researched for this episode, because I assumed, like you, I would have thought, like, you're spinning records. Yeah, the Detroit Spinners came up because there was another group in England called the Spinners. I didn't know that either until a few years yeah, ago. They were, they, were like a, they, were, they were like a folk group, and they were called the Spinners. So when the Spinners hit in the 70s, the American Spinners record company or whatever, they made sure they, they had to change that name. They didn't want to change the Spinners, so they added Detroit. The Detroit Spinners. If you go look for records, even now by the Spinners to try and buy and you see an import, you'll see the Detroit Spinners on there. For those of you out there buying records by the Spinners, Detroit Spinners is the same group. I like it better than the Domingos because when I first saw that, I'm like, that just rhymes with flamingos. And there was already another group called the Flamingos. Well, that's one reason Bobby Smith always said they changed the names because, gee, we were getting confused with all these other groups and vocal groups at that time. I mean, vocal groups in the 50s was the thing. Now, Tom, have you ever seen the Spinners live in concert? This is something that really gets to me because you know my other job it was very hard for me to get time off they they played down in about two hours away from me in oakland and they played a club they play a club down there and they would do like three dates almost every fall i just couldn't get the time off to go see them i noticed that they're playing this fall as well they're doing a weekend yeah they're doing a three-day weekend thing in september at the same place and and right now the way things are going with all these variants and stuff i just don't feel comfortable sitting in a club i'm gonna have to pass them up again hopefully they'll be around again (laughs) yeah no pun intended there (laughs) oh it was (laughs) (laughs) henry's 83 years old and still still in good shape you know he's still out there there doing it and i think he's just going to keep doing as long as he's healthy and I think even if he can't do it anymore, some form of the spinners is going to just keep going on. They're too beloved almost. And like their songs are almost in the pop culture cellgeist in many ways. Like they have have at least like, I would say eight to 10 songs that like most people probably know, even beyond I'll Be Around or Work My Way Back to You. Like there's just so many songs that they did that just resonate and they just grow over time. You got their their popularity we got enough songs to do an hour and a half almost every night yeah and i think they're one of those groups and and it's so weird because even outside like motown for example like the temptations or the four tops or the supremes like you know like those like touring groups or like like that i feel like the um the spinners are so unique because they feel like a throwback but they're also like modern it's like it's a weird dichotomy their placement in this in the landscape of 70s soul music they feel like a motown relic mm-hmm. but they're also how do i say this just very i guess modern because of the orchestrations by tom bell yeah it does i mean that sound his production trademark and it fit the spinners perfectly more than any other group that he produced they still sound modern to me and i think it's because like their songs too i mean we'll talk about this later i'm sure but they they're not even traditional pop songs like how pop songs are like under three minutes 
hits and they're very quick. The spinners, it's like they have a very slow build up at first and they don't sing sometimes until like 30 seconds into a song. And the songs could be sometimes like four full minutes or more, sometimes five. And I think that that's really mm-hmm. unusual for most popular especially R&B groups at the, at that time and still maintain a really wide mainstream audience. Well, Tom Bell, I mean that was sort of his production technique. He liked to he liked to set a mood right at the start and he liked to throw a lot of stuff in there to get your attention. You know, the introduction on some of these songs were close to a minute before the groups would get in there. Yeah, it creates like this atmosphere or like like a mood, like you said, and it just kind of gets you into that mindset of enjoying the music. Because we talked a little bit already about their earliest years. Now, something that really sticks out to me about their career is that they were on Motown Records for almost the entire 1960s. Could you describe their career during that time period? Because I feel that it's one of the most fascinating stories in R&B history. Well, 1963, they go to Motown. This is after 1961 when Harvey Fuqua of the Moonglows mm-hmm. signs them to his record label, Tri-Fi, T-R-I-P-H-I. I guess it's Tri-Fi. And he signs them to the record deal. And they actually have a hit. That's what girls are made for. Mm-hmm. I think it goes to number 27 on the pop charts. Motown ends up buying out Tri-Fi Records, brings some of Harvey Fuqua's acts with them to Motown, and one of them was the Spinners. And like you said, it's one of the strangest stories, I think, for a major R&B group. They were there for eight years, 63 to 71. Not much happened. <laughs> I was surprised, too, because I did a little research, and I was like, okay, let me, let me see here, because at least a lot of R&B hits on Motown, right? I mean, they must have had a lot of songs charted. I looked at the chart book and the R&B chart book, and for their whole eight years, they only had four songs charted on the R&B charts, the top 100 R&B charts. Only four in an eight-year period. And all four of those went top 20. But you would think that they would have had more. Basically, what happened is they got lost in the shuffle. I mean, that that's mm-hmm. the cliche word. I think it's the phrase that everyone uses. They just got lost in the shuffle at Motown. And by the time they signed to Motown and started to get going in the mid-60s, all the A-list material was going to Four Tops, Temptations, uh, Supremes, The Miracles. Miracles. I mean, Smokey Smokey was co-writing most of his own songs, but he wasn't giving any of the the good ones to uh, the the Spinners. And the Spinners, they just, I don't even know if you can consider them a B-list item on Motown's menu, maybe even a C-list. Nothing happened. Not much happened, at least until 1970 when it's a Shane hate. It's very, it's just one of those strange, I mean, that's almost like seven, eight years of a career that, um, I mean, they would tell you right off. I mean, Henry would tell you right off that we just got rejects and we got lost. We got lost. But you know what yeah. group it reminded me of? It's going to probably make you laugh is Gladys Knight of the Pips because they had yeah. that a whole lot of years on Motown from like the mid to late sixties to like the early seventies. And they had that one big song. I heard it through the grapevine before Marvin Gaye's version and nothing else really. I mean, I mean, they had a few other hits, I guess, but nothing to the extent of the success that Gladys Knight and the Pips would receive after they left Motown with like midnight train to Georgia and you're the best things ever happened to me. And, all so many wonderful songs. 
So it's so weird how yeah. we, a lot of people like to think Motown, like it was the star making machine and this like historiography around it and it, it, or mythology. But I mean, the Marvelettes, the spinners, they were kind of like the run to the litter in many ways of Motown. Like they didn't get the best material I mean, or yeah. Yeah. It's like when, when you think about Motown, just think about how many groups they had on their label or even uh, groups and singers they had on their label at their peak in that, in the 1960s. And there's just no way that everybody's going to get the top material. It's just not going to happen. A lot of those groups, they all recorded each other's songs. I think, I think the only good thing that came out of their time at Motown was that they learned how to be a better live act. Mm-hmm. They would do these tours with people, you know, they would be like, like you said, bottom of the litter on the on the tours they would be like the sixth group that would come out that was about the only good thing that came out i think it was called artist development that motown had for all new artists and how to choreograph how to dance how to present yourself that's about the only good thing that came out of their whole time i'm just you know and i listened to a lot of this stuff just recently and yeah it's just uh, a lot of it's just not up there with the best of motown it's passable three out of five stars. It wasn't until 1969 when they recorded It's a Shame that they finally got a, a real, real good song. Well, that song was, of course, co-written by a very decent artist who's had a couple hits, Mr. Stevie Wonder. <laughs> and he co- well, he co-wrote it with, his, with a woman, uh, Sarita, Sarita Wright, and she co-wrote that song with him. And that song was recorded in 69. It didn't get released until the summer of 70 because the spinners weren't a top priority and it just kind of sat in the can there for almost half a year. And he produced it too, right? He produced it. He co-wrote it. And yeah, they finally got the breakthrough song that they wanted. And it just so happens to come out right when they leave, right when they just about had enough of Motown. <laughs> I mean, they really did have enough of Motown by 1970, even though that song was a hit. And the lead singer on that song too, he's got a... He's got an interesting backstory. G.C. Cameron is the mm-hmm. guy who sings lead on It's a Shame. He joins the group in 1967. He's uh, mm-hmm. a Marine who gets wounded in Vietnam. And he hears Stevie Wonder playing on the radio while he's recuperating. Goes to Detroit, finds out that the Spinners are looking for another lead singer. It's the one they had left. He gets the job and becomes friends with Stevie Wonder. Stevie says he has a song for him called It's a Shame. Next thing you know, they recorded it. But it's too bad it had to sit there in the can for so long. Who knows what would have happened if it had been released right away and then maybe put out a follow-up song right away. But even that didn't happen once uh, It's a Shame became a hit. Yeah, it's it's so strange how Motown just had no faith in them, it seems, or they just didn't know what to do with the spinners. And I believe, didn't they also, like, were odd jobs for Motown? Like, some of them were, like, chauffeurs and roadies and... (laughs) <laughs> well, per- Purvis Jackson, who was the uh, bass singer of the Spinners, he got a job stocking records or pack- the package department. He got a job packaging mm-hmm. records to ship out. I mean, this is what he had to do. Henry and Bobby Smith were chauffeurs for the Gordy family. I mean, just stuff you wouldn't think the Temptations of the Four Tops would have to do. And they did do some background vocals on some other group's records, stuff like that. But, I mean, it's just... it's. When I think about it, yeah, it's just kind of crazy that they had to do odd jobs just to keep on Motown. It's hard to believe now, but that that is what happened. You had to do something in order to stay on the roster and keep in the good uh, graces of Barry Gordy, I guess. I think it was a sense of optimism, too, on their part, because I think the way that Henry articulated 
in that one interview that we we both talked about many years ago is that it made it they made it seem like they were just optimistic that maybe we'll get our big break finally because they had like a seven year contract I think with Motown so they were thinking like okay maybe this will be the year and they only had I think one single a year something like that right Tom like it was something absurd too yeah from what I could from what I could see they had only nine singles were released while they were there four of them made that's the crazy. Charts. So that's almost like a single a year. They did put out a couple albums. Uh, they put one out in 1967, and they put out one more album in 1970, the one called Second Time Around. But yeah, I mean, for the amount of time they're there, I mean, golly, it's like nine singles. I mean, that that's just nothing. That's really nothing compared to some of the other groups. So they didn't have many many people on there that believed in them. I, I think they said there was only a couple couple guys that you can see why once the contract ended, that was it. They weren't going back to Motown. And it's so funny because you think that like by the end of their contract at Motown that they would stay because they're thinking, okay, we finally got our breakthrough hit. And no, they left. They took their ball and left. And I think Henry once said something to the extent that that was like their college years. Like that's where they were like honing their craft and getting paying their dues in the industry and hopefully leading them to bigger and better things. But it's just so interesting that they left Motown and then really it was Aretha Frank advised them to sign with Atlantic Records, right? Because they toured with her. They toured with her and she knew who they were and they asked her for her advice. When they, when they left Motown, they got offers from three other labels. They got offered from Stax, they got offered from Atlantic, and they got offered from Avco, A-V-C-O. That was the label the stylistics were on. And she mentioned that on Atlantic, there aren't that many, or there weren't that many vocal groups at all on Atlantic Records. And she said, why don't you try Atlantic? And that's, I mean, that's basically what happened. And then around that time, they, Atlantic Records also hired Tom Bell. And Tom Bell is fascinating in his own right because he worked with Chubby Checkered. And he also, if I'm not mistaken, Tom, was, didn't he want to be like a classical music? Like, like his, like, didn't he want to lean towards a career in classical music before he ventured into pop music? Yeah, he was a, he was a classically trained musician. And I think he plays just a whole bunch of different instruments as well. And yeah, that's kind of what he what it was. I mean, he had no big intention of becoming this great R&B producer. And sometime in the late 50s, he heard Little Anthony and the Imperials as a Tears on My Pillow. And he mm-hmm. heard that song. And that's kind of the song that set him off onto pop music, R&B music. Those early records... Little Anthony and the Imperials, those records like Hurt So Bad and Going Out of My Head, those type of records and, and Burt Backrack and Hal David's records that they were doing with Dionne Warwick, that's the sound, that's the type of music he wanted to make. Those are the records that influenced him the most. Terry Randazzo, who was the co-producer and co-writer of all those great Little Anthony records, those are the guys that he emulated and wanted to be. That's how he got into pop music. That, you know, you listen to a Burt Backrack, his music, very orchestral, orchestral. You listen to the sound of Little Anthony and the Imperials, and that's, I mean, it's almost the same type as the sound that Burt Backrack was making those. Yeah, I, I think that that's definitely uh, true. And when Bell signed with Atlantic Records, they pretty much told him, you can work with whoever you want. And 
at the bottom of their list was the spinners and he chose the spinners and they were like very shocked Atlantic record executives. Cause you know, they didn't really have much success at Motown and it's kind of like, well, why these guys? And I think Tom Bell saw them live in concert and was floored by their vocal harmonies. And he said something mm-hmm. to the extent of like, I could work with these guys if, if it's the right type of music and the right, production values we could make these guys superstars yeah back in the early 60s when the spinners were touring very early 60s when they were just getting going tom bell played in the house band at the uptown theater which is in philadelphia and the Mm -hmm. spinners came through there and he was in the house band playing behind them years almost a decade later when atlantic hired him they gave him a list and on that list was a whole bunch of people, and they 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 said, "Well, why why do you want to produce the spinners?" And the main reason was is because the spinners needed his help, as Tom Bell explains it. He didn't want to produce Aretha or Wilson Pickett or Joe Tex or any of these other whoever was on the Atlantic label at the time because they don't they didn't need his help. They were already successful. But the spinners, mm-hmm. he remembered who they were. He knew the trouble that they had had in at Motown, and when he saw the list, yeah, it, it, I mean, Atlantic was like. You want the spinners? I mean, it's, it's like, hey, I would have liked to have been a fly on the wall at that moment. It's like, yeah, and he said, yeah, I want to produce these guys right here. They need my help, and I think I could do something with them. And the spinners themselves were pretty surprised about it. And luckily, everyone stuck together. Well, at first, too, at first, too, the, the spinners, when they signed with Atlantic, they initially didn't didn't record songs with Tom Bell. They did about three or four songs with another producer. And when they turned them into Atlantic, Atlantic said, mm, this, this isn't it. You guys ain't got the sound yet. It was a totally different producer. And if you listen to those records, they're pretty generic soul. Is what I, I call it. It's just, it's just missing that extra thing that Tom Bell brought. Mm. And then Tom Bell comes along. That that's when the magic happens. Can I ask you, do you think that the spinners felt a little pessimistic? Like, oh, we, we were promised, like, not promised, but I think they had big dreams of sorts when they were at Motown and it didn't work out for them. So do you think that maybe they felt a little uneasy at first with Tom Bell? Because they're like, oh, yeah, you're going to make us a star. I think they were I think they were still pessimistic their career. You know, mm-hmm. a lot of the guys, a lot of the guys I think at that time were were talking that if if this doesn't work out here with Atlantic, well, we're just going to go back to what we some other job. You know, we're going to go back to our yeah. hometowns and we're going to we're going to do other things because obviously this isn't this isn't going to happen. I mean, we were on and like you said the experience on Motown was so bad. They weren't expecting much from Tom Bell even though they knew who Tom Bell was. I mean, Tom Bell in 1972 is one of He's hot. He's one of the hot, mm-hmm. hottest R&B producers and pop producers. I mean, he's got the stylistics crossing over. He's got all these hits with the stylistics that he that he produced and co-wrote. And he had those hits with the Delphonics from the late 60s. So he is uh, he's a hot commodity and they knew who he was, but I still think they were pessimistic. And they were also older, too, because I think most of the spinners were in their mid-30s at this point. And it's like, yeah, one or like if they haven't gotten in already, were they ever gonna obtain success? Because not that they were old, but they definitely weren't young. Like time wasn't on their side in terms of obtaining large scale pop success. So I think that yeah, the big, you're right. The that question is, when is this gonna happen? They hung in there. I mean, through those Motown years, I think most groups would have been gone by then. 
or off to solo careers or something. But somehow, well, four of the five guys stuck together. Now, G.C. Cameron did not go to Atlantic. He had to stay mm-hmm. at Motown. Because I, I think he was still under contract. They had to look for another co-lead singer. This is ni- late 1971. This is when it uh, changes for them, when they, when, when they bring in Felipe Wynn. Tom Bell is the big moment. Felipe coming in just really adds that, that extra that a lot of the other R&B groups at that time didn't have. I mean, but before all this happens, they've got to get some hits. I mean, that's really what Tom Bell, Tom Bell's job was, was to give them hits. Definitely. Why do you think that, because of course, Tom Bell produced their earliest Atlantic record outings. And of course, I'll be around, which I'm going to tell you, Tom, the other Tom, I'm going to just going to be honest. That's probably the greatest B-side single to ever just completely annihilate the A single and just blast these guys from relative obscurity to mainstream superstar status. Like that was one of the biggest hits of the early 70s. And it's still yeah, heard today. I mean, yeah. How could I let you get away? Which was the... the- the initial A side, I'll be around was the B side. How could I let you get away? Is a nice, it's a good song. Just by chance, I mean, it's crazy that that I'll be around was was on the B side. Luckily, some of the DJs at that time, and sometimes getting a hit in the music business is all about luck and timing. And luckily, somebody flipped this that single around and started playing the B side. You're right, I'll be around. I mean, it's definitely one of the greatest Philly soul songs ever. And had no one. And no DJs back in those days flipped that song around and played it. Who knows? I mean, who knows what happens to the Spinner's career? I mean, you know, the first song kind of stiffs that they do with Tom Bell as an A-side. And, you know, maybe those other songs are right behind it that became hits. But, yeah, it's definitely a uh, amazing uh, occurrence for the Spinner's that the B-side got turned over. And we're, we, got, we got with this classic song, which was sung by Bobby Smith. There's a lot of Spinners fans that get a little bit upset because they think Felipe was such a force. They think that he's kind of gets all the credit that he was the lead singer on every song, but he wasn't. About half the hits he sang and half of them were by Bobby Smith. So I try and give Bobby Smith as much credit as possible, even though he kind of gets overlooked a little bit as a one of those great R&B singers from that era. Definitely. And he is even considered by the group in many ways, Smith, as their primary lead vocalist. And he was there from the beginning. Yeah, he was there from just almost just about the beginning. He came along maybe about a year after and replaced uh, some other guy on there. The three guys that were there right from the start in 54, you had you had Purvis Jackson, the bass voice, Henry Fambro was the baritone, uh, mm-hmm. Billy Henderson, who I don't really think sang very much lead on any song that they had out on the Atlantic years. Um, I don't think he was so. Like, uh, he was like, yeah, he was more just your basic backup singer. I don't want to slight him in any way. I'm pretty sure soul fans will, will get on my will get on me if I slight him in any way. But he was also a tenor along with uh, Bobby Smith. But those three guys were there from the get go, and mm-hmm. they had they had two other guys in the group. Those guys left pretty fast. Bobby Smith came along, I think, in '56. So yeah, you had basically four guys there from '56 until. 72 71 and yeah i mean bobby is the lead singer on a lot of those early songs that's what girls are made for i'll I'll always love you gc sings on it's a shame but yeah he does sing on a lot of the spinners 
greatest songs. The critic, even the critics at that time, when the spinners were real popular, they tended to focus more on Felipe. I mean, he seemed to get all the critical acclaim, and of course, a lot of that had to do with a lot of that had to do with his stage uh, stage performances, as you know. I want to ask you something, Tom, about their lineup changes throughout their career, because mm-hmm. I thought for some reason before doing this episode, I thought they had many lineup changes with their core members, but it really, it was the four, they had four primary members, right? And then there right. was a fifth one that was kind of like the revolving door. I was curious if you could talk about that, because I wasn't aware that I thought they went through so many people and it's not really the case, right? No, it's not the case at all. A lot of people think, Mm -hmm. I mean, most of the lineup, most of the lineup changes happened in the fifties and then somewhat in the mid sixties. You had, like I was telling you before, you had Henry, Billy, Purvis, Bobby were the mainstays. And then it was that fifth, fifth one that was sort of the rotating one. There was a guy named George Dixon who stuck around until 1963 and he left once they got to Motown, and there was a guy named Edgar Chico Edwards, who also sang a little bit of lead. He was at Motown with them until 67. Then you had GC, and then you had Felipe. Mm-hmm. So there wasn't a whole lot of big changes. There was a guy named C.P. Spencer, who was with the group in 54. He was one of the original that started with the group when they were the Domingos. And then he was re- he was replaced by George Dixon and uh, Bobby Smith. There was a guy, I think I said before, James Edwards replaced by Bobby Smith. So it seems like they had a lot of lineup changes. Most of that was at the beginning. Once mm-hmm. once they got once they got to 1970, the only lineup change they had was uh, G.C. Cameron leaving in 71 or not leaving, but not able to join the group. And then you had Felipe. And most of those guys were only those earlier guys were only there for a year, maybe a couple of years at best. I just thought that was so interesting because you're right. Like after 1970, it was pretty much the same lineup and the lineup that we all know. But right, the classic, I call it, it was, I call it the, the classic lineup. Definitely. The classic lineup is Henry, Billy, Henry, Billy, Purvis, Bobby, and Felipe. That's the classic. That's the lineup you, you talk about when you talk about a Hall of Fame lineup. That lineup is together from 71 to 77. And that was actually pretty much the pinnacle of their success, like yeah, those that, years. Yeah, that's those, I mean, that's the Rolls Royce of the, of the group. That's when they had all their big hits in that time frame. And, you know, they had a lot of hits in, in, in that lineup, you know, only together six years. Boy, did they, they accomplished a lot in six years. I mean, they really did. You know, people don't understand back then groups groups would knock an album out a year. I mean, the Spinners knocked two albums out in one year, 1974. They put an album out at the beginning of the year, and then they put one out at the at the end. So group things moved fast. You know, you're lucky if you had two or three singles released, two singles maybe released off an album that were hits. So, I mean, they, they knocked out a lot of stuff in a short amount of time, and all of that with Tom Bell producing, too, which is even more amazing. That's actually something I wanted to ask you, too, was that merrily known as a singles group. But do you think that they made great albums? Because I think there's a misconception that a lot of music fans have that a lot of like R&B and soul performers, they're primarily just singles artists, but they don't make great albums. Do you think that that applies to the spinners? No, 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 not at all. I mean, that first Spinners album that they did with Tom Bell, released in 1973, just called The Spinners, it's a classic. I mean, I don't know how Definitely. else to tell people. I don't know how else to tell people today. 
it, it annoys me because you don't ever see that album listed on these. It's not on that Rolling Stone 500 list they came out with last year. You do see it listed on a lot of uh, best R&B albums of the 70s, that type stuff. It just annoys me because, like you said, a lot of people think that these R&B acts from that era were just singles acts. And that's not true at all. They Most of them made great albums. And the Spinners made, I think they made in that classic Tom Bell period, I count three classic albums. You know, the the Spinners, the 73 album. I mean, there's four songs on that 73 album that made the pop top 30. And they're all great songs. They're all classics. Mm -hmm. You know, you had I'll Be Around, Could It Be I'm Falling In Love, One of a Kind, Love Affair, and Ghetto Child. Here's the thing, too, about that album, that Spinners album, is that even the the album cuts could have been single. You know, you you already had How Could I Let You Get Away. That was also a single. So you had, you know, you had a bunch of singles on there. It's a great album. And, you know... One thing I did was I, I went and looked up. I was just curious myself to see to see how that album ranked when it got released in 1973, and it got it got great reviews. I mean, at the end of '73, Rolling Stone had it listed as one of their albums of the year. Robert Criscow, the critic for Village Voice, called it the Soul Album of the Year. So it got great reviews, but boy, I just wish people would give it a little bit more critical acclaim on one of these. Greatest albums ever list, Rolling Stone top 500 list, and there's no classic Gamble and Huff Tom Bell on there at all. Not 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 one. It's because they they think of these groups as only singles group. But you do have the four tops on there. You have the Miracles, the Temptations, Supremes are all listed on there. The only Philly soul on there is is a Boys to Men album. Yeah, uh, I think it's Boys to Men. I think it's their second album. You know, and I like Boys to Men and everything too, but. Backstabbers album. It's not on this on this 2020 list, but in the other two the other two times they did it, it was listed on there. But no Gamble and Huff at all on a, on the list of 500 albums. And there, you know, on this Rolling Stone list, there are some greatest hits albums on there. Yeah, I mean the the three albums that I think the Spinners I consider to be classics. You know, five out of five, four and a half out of five, whatever. Definitely the first Spinners album, self titled album. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's the album that that they had to have. That's the album that they had to have hits on. It was the album that broke them. Mighty Love came out after that. And it's also just an incredible album. Uh, the third album, that, the one that has the uh, Then Came You on it, is also very good. The third album, the album I really think that I, I love probably after Spinners is Pick of the Litter, 1975. That's my, f- I was hoping you would say that because that's my favorite album yeah. by them. Yeah, there was there was a time when I mean sometimes I go back and forth with that on with Mighty Love, but I you know just listening to these albums over again, I'm like eh, I think I'm gonna put Pick of the Litter back up at number two, and I'll put uh, Pick of the Litter. I mean it's there's some songs on there that that were never even released a single that are just great album cuts now. And of oh, course they're it has so games, amazing. It has games people play on there, but there's some others on there that are just superb. That is an album. My sister had the 45, and it's one of those albums. It's one of the first Spinners albums I ever bought on vinyl. The first Spinners album that I ever bought, and this was back in the vinyl days, was their 1978 Best Of. It was their first greatest hits. It had all their, I think it had most of their Atlantic hits on there. And yeah, that's a really good album. That was the first Spinners album that I ever bought on vinyl. Yeah, those are, I mean, those are some great albums. And I just, hopefully people listen to this. I hope they can go back and listen to those classic Spinner's albums, and you're going to hear a lot of songs that you're probably going to go, wow, that could have been a hit. Yeah, that's ex- especially when I was listening to Pick of the Letter yesterday, and I, I heard it again, and I thought to myself, like, wow, even 
some of the songs on there, like just as long as we have love and I don't want to lose you. Those could have been like standalone singles that would have probably been bigger hits if they were released, but it just, it's, it's a testament to just how great the spinners are because to me, the, being asked like oh r&b groups are just singles bands to me that's just lazy and i think that that's kind of like just not true because i think there's some rock bands that make quote-unquote album like great albums or they have deeper cuts but they're not great so to me it's like one of those things where it's just not true and i just think it's kind of like making them lesser almost like like the work like oh they just make singles you hear on the radio but they don't really play like records but the spinners made fantastic albums and i think what's a testament to their success too is is that those first i think five or six records on atlantic all went gold at least gold oh yeah so they sold well even their live album went gold yeah yeah they put a live album they put a live album out after Pick of the Litter, and even that one went gold. So, I mean, you're talking about a group that's one of the hottest groups in the country. Not just not just R&B groups. We're talking about one of the hottest pop groups, groups period, in the country at that time. I want to give a shout out to Henry Frambro. You mentioned uh, I Don't Want to Lose You, and that's sort of a showcase song for him. I mean, that, Absolutely. that, that song is like a Quiet Storm classic. I mean, it's, it's sort of like a, uh, a forerunner of, of, of the Quiet Storm format and... And also disco too. Not so much the spinners with disco music. That happened a little later on. But the Philly sound itself was kind of a bridge there. Yeah, and I think it's it's a testament to just how wonderful they are as artists. I think if you can make really great deep cuts, I think that's what makes a great artist in many ways. And I think that's just like the feather in their cap is that they have so many great songs that people just don't know of. And I think that's yeah, I mean, just a testament to them. So, Tom, I did want to ask you about their famous admirers, because me and you have talked about this in the past, of famous musicians who really are huge fans of the Spinners. Are there any um, that stand out that love the Spinners just as much as we do? you got to start with certainly Daryl Hall. Just by just by luck, earlier today, an interview with Daryl Hall came came on, on on Vulture. The guy asked him a question, guy asked him a bunch of questions about Hall and Oates' career. But he also asked him about what singers influenced him the most. And he said that outside of The Temptations, the one singer that influenced him the most was Felipe Wynn. Mm-hmm. And I was kind of surprised. You know, I, I know he, I know they loved the, the Spinners, obviously. And they've covered I'll Be Around. And I knew Holland Oates loved the Spinners, Philly guys. I didn't know that he was that big a fan of uh, Felipe Wynn. And he said, I loved his singing style. I love what he brought to the table in the world of soul. I mean, it was gospel music all the way. He moved me like just about nobody else ever has. I mean, that's uh, that's some pretty high praise right there. You know, I that mean, is. Elton John, probably the next big name on the list. 1975 song, Philadelphia Freedom. The music on there is sort of a tribute to Philly soul. Elton and... Late 1977, he's kind of looking for something different to do. He's kind of a little bit burned out on rock music. So, and he always loved the, he always loved Tom Bell. He always loved the Spinners. He loved that era. And he hooks up with Tom Bell in late 1977. He cut six songs. The Spinners sing backup on three of them, and they actually sing 
a couple verses on one of the songs, Are You Ready for Love? It's about an eight-minute song. And they also sing backup on Mama Can't Buy You Love, which turned out to be a hit. But they, Elton cut six songs with Tom Bell in late 1977 and then stopped. And they never really finished. They never finished an album. And in early 1979, Elton went back in. He remixed three of the songs, Mama Can't Buy You Love, Are You Ready for Love, and another one. And he put out in the States, the big hit was Mama Can't Buy You Love. In England, he put out Are You Ready for Love in a remixed version that took the Spinners' lead vocals of Bobby Smith, John Edwards. He took, it, he took them off the record, and they were relegated to the background. And he released that in the UK, but it was just a very mild hit. And the Spinners cut their own version of that song, are You Ready for Love? And it was a mild, also mild R&B hit. But certainly Elton John, big fan of Philly Soul, big fan of the Spinners, and big fan of Tom Bell. But they never finished the album. Apparently Elton and Tom Bell, yeah, they might have had a little bit of clash here and there in the studio. You know, Tom Bell was the type of producer who liked to do things his own way. Yeah, <laughs> yeah this, is, this is just what he liked to do. I mean, he often had clashes with Felipe Wynn in the studio. I mean, Felipe wanted to sing sing the songs his way. Tom Bell wanted him to sing another way. And so Tom Bell tells a famous story that what he would often do is he would let Felipe sing a song any way he wanted. He'd let him sing it one, two, three times till he tired himself out. And then he would, Felipe would look at Bell and go, okay, okay, you're right. We'll do it your way. But when he, when Felipe would sing all those songs two, three times, Bell wouldn't run the tape. The tape recorder wasn't running. So Felipe had to sing the song the way Tom Bell wanted him to sing. So there was there was a lot of tension in the studio between Felipe and, and Tom Bell, especially as the spinners were getting more popular, and especially as Felipe was getting more critical notices, more acclaim. And there was a lot of butting of the heads there. That's unfortunate because that's what led to Felipe leaving the group. But you also had Todd Rundgren, big fan of uh, the spinners. I mean, a lot of these a lot of these groups are. I know Daryl Hall hates. The phrase blue-eyed soul. So we'll just say uh, a lot of Caucasian singing uh, R&B, you know, whatever. You know, Elvis, <laughs> Cost- Elvis Costello was a huge fan. And he, he lists their best of that when I was talking about the 1978 as one of his top albums of all time. Uh, you, had, um, you had the Bee Gees. Loved, especially when they got into the R&B style music they were making in 75, 76. They loved the vocals. And if you listen to some of those Bee Gees records from that era. You definitely hear some Spinner's influence in there. And you also had David Bowie, a big fan of the Spinner's Live. And this is this is a this is something about the Spinner's that also kind of sets them apart from a lot of other groups. Was their was their live act? David Bowie said it was one of the greatest when he went and saw them. This must have been the mid seventies with Felipe. It was one of the greatest concerts he ever saw. Of course, David Bowie recorded some Philly Soul himself around that time, the Young Americans album. And there were there were a lot of people. Boss Skaggs is a big fan. And, you know, I was I was looking at like the last year that the Spinners were nominated for the Hall of Fame. Class of 2016, after the nominees were announced, Steve Miller, the old Rock Hall curmudgeon Steve Miller, when he was when they were telling him what some of the groups that got in and some of the groups that didn't, he goes, oh, he wished the Spinners would have made it because he said Spinners were one of the greatest live acts that he's ever seen. So a lot of people love the, the, the live the live act of the Spinners. And I guess a lot of those, those guys from that era saw them play, you know, word of mouth. Hey, these guys are killing it on stage. This guy Felipe is running around like a gospel preacher singing these songs. <laughs> and you know what I mean? <laughs> so it's... If you look at more modern day people, I mean, I mentioned Boys to Men earlier. If you look at a song like End of the Road, End of the Road sounds a lot like Love Don't Love, Love Don't Love Nobody. 
<laughs> people people need to go out there and hear those songs back to back. And if you hear that uh, the Bruno Mars Anderson Anderson Pack song that they do now, Silk Sonic, Leave the Door Open. You hear that big hit earlier this year. If you hear that song, you definitely hear Spinner's influence there. So there were quite a few. There were quite a few acts that love the Spinners. I think that it's a testament to how great they are is do they get peer recognition? Like do, do their peers recognize their talents and are fa- fans of them? And I think that all the artists that you listed – they're legends and among the greatest artists of all time, like Elton John and Elvis Costello and the right. Bee Gees. And it's really a testament to how great the spinners are that so many of those artists like them and mm-hmm. will sing their praises until the night falls. Yeah. I mean, if you notice, I list, I, I mentioned, you know, a few of the British singers because mm-hmm. these British guys, they all loved our R&B. You know whether yeah, it was, they do. whether it was Motown, Stax, or Philly. I mean, they they loved our R and B records, and you know the Spinners and Philly Soul. You know, it was it was the sound of the seventies, so it, it definitely rubbed off on Elton John and Elvis Costello, who played Rubber Band Man all the time backstage before you go on stage, and uh, that type. You know, it's those type of little little nuggets that you see and you go, you know, they really did reach a lot of different types of people, not just R&B acts or groups that they might have influenced, but they definitely reached a lot of other people. Um, Something I like to ask every guest, Tom, is because I think it's really important to try to think of a sample of why the spinners are special or important. I I always think a wonderful thing to ask our guests are, if you had to make a mixtape of, I don't know, five or six songs that you would consider essential spinner songs, what songs would you choose and why? I've got about 10 songs and I won't take very long because we already talked about a bunch of them. Obviously, yeah. you got to have It's a Shame on there. I mean, not only is it their big, big first big hit, but it's also a great song. I mean, the guitar part in there itself is just incredible. The second second one, I'll be around. Obviously, we talked about it already. Could it be on Falling in Love? Has to be in there. The interplay there between Bobby and Felipe is just out of this world. One of a kind love affair, which was pretty much Felipe's first um, showcase song. Even though a couple of the other guys sing on it a little bit, but that was pretty much his first. Mighty Love, which not only is a great studio song but watching him sing that in concert is otherworldly um you got to have then came you on there it's their only number one record and it's a good song too it's a good song and i'm going to throw in a couple here real real fast too um these are these are felipe showcases but they are just you, you have to have them on a spinner's mixtape first one is love don't love nobody just a awesome and you got it you got to hear the seven minute version of this song not not just a single version and um it was a pop hit too. It went to number fifteen that in 1974 or maybe early 75. But just an incredible performance by Felipe. And then another great performance is Sadie, which is mm-hmm. a uh, which is a Mother's Day Mother's Day staple on many Mother's Day playlists, and also sampled by uh, Tupac. Dear Mama samples Sadie, although on that one they they use Lady instead, but it uses the same uh, melody. Um, games people play. Just a wonderful. Every time I hear that, it reminds me of the summer of 75. Summer of 75 is when I moved here. We lived in Germany from 71 to 75. My dad was in the military. And 
we moved back to the States in 75. And that's one of those songs I just, I just remember hearing all the time. We moved back in like June 75. And it's, 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 uh, it's another just incredible song. Bobby Smith, incredible vocals on that one. And then Rubber Band Man, which is the, the last, I guess, Felipe showcase. One thing I, one thing I, I looked at today, because that song went to number two in 1976. It was there for three weeks. It couldn't get to number one. You know why? Because Rod Stewart's Tonight's Tonight was number one. 10, 11, whatever the hell weeks it was there in 1976. <laughs> Kept the dang damn spinners out of the number one slot that year. That, about now that that's today, a shame. Thinking about that today, you know, I, I don't mind that song by Rod Stewart. You know, it's kind of a whatever. But, uh, <laughs> but the, fact that, the fact that, you know, the spinners had to sit there for three weeks, you know. And, you know, Bill, you think sometimes I, I, I get mad at Billboard magazine. Back in those days, and I think to myself, "Geez, why couldn't Billboard just give them a week? Just, just, I know. just give it. I mean, anytime I see someone who's like number two for six weeks, I go, "Why don't you just give them a week and then put put Rod back up there again?" <laughs> but um, then I wholeheartedly agree. The last one I picked, last one I picked, is you got to have uh, "Working My Way Back to You" on it. it. Wasn't their last big hit, but it was a number two record. And what I like about what I like about that song, and this is in the Tom Bell product. This is after the. They, Tom Bell had left, and it's kind of disco-ish, I guess you could call it, disco R&B. But I like the fact that half, mm-hmm. of, it, half of it's the Four Seasons song and half of it's a new song. And I, I've left off, I've left off, and, a few, I've left off a few big hits, but I think that's, what is that, about 10 songs? You've got to have those on there. Yeah. Is there any song that you like that I missed? There's a couple other hits I might have missed, but I think those are really the essentials. If you had to put that's together. That's the core ones. Those are the core ones. Those aren't the. Those are just the singles now. Those aren't the deep cuts. When you get to the when you get to the deep cuts, that's that's what the the, the soul fans out there, the real spinners, real R and B fans of the seventies, the was it the crate diggers or whatever you call them. Those are the ones when those are the ones when you you, you read the comment section on YouTube or whatever, and they start going, yeah, yeah, that song, you know, song sung by uh, Purvis or whatever, and you're like, wow, these guys really know their stuff. <laughs> so there are there are a few there did you there's, a, there's actually a whole bunch of there's a whole bunch of deep cuts i don't know if you want to get into that absolutely do you have like uh three or four or five that you would like to share well, with us definitely from that pick of the litter album there's a song called honest i do which is um sung by felipe i just love that song very very mid-tempo i think it's a i think it's a great song and i think i already mentioned from the same album henry's uh, i don't want to lose you just a real great power ballad song there's other th- things in there ain't no price on happiness from 1974 album mighty love album that's one of the few songs that that has henry bobby and felipe on it so you get this this is what tom bell had to work with back in those days i mean he had a lot of people he traded off on there's another song off of basically every song off that 73 album is is worth is a deep cut because they get overshadowed by all the big hits I could never repay your loves on there. Just can't get you out of my mind is the first, the very first song on that Spinner's self-titled album. And I think one of my probably my favorite of all of those is a song called "Since I've Been Gone." This is on their Mighty Love album, and it's sung by Bobby. And it's the first song on that album, not since I've been gone, since I've been gone. And it it's you know some of these songs should have been hits i mean honest i do since i've been gone uh, those could have been those could have been big hits but they were never released as singles i want to give a, i want to put in a couple plugs for some of their 
some of their 80s songs, you know, no one really talks about. The Spinners of the 80s, I mean, kind of gets lost in the uh, the mix. I mean, they put out a lot of albums in the 80s. They did. I mean, <laughs> I, I was kind of surprised, too. And I had to write it down because I was like, they knocked out a lot. Of, seven albums they put out in the 1980s, from 80 to 80, 89. I wish I could tell you a lot of them were classics, like the ones from the classic years of 72, 77. But, you know, most of those are pretty generic R&B records. Yeah, John Edwards was now the lead singer. He took over lead singing after Felipe left in 1977. And he's a good singer. He's a, he's a really good singer. Uh, mm-hmm. Kind of in that Sam Cooke, Johnny Taylor, Joe Tex maybe vein. A little bluesy, a little bit more of that old old soul sounds. Uh, there's a song called Right or Wrong that came out in 1984, which I really like. They had a song in 1980 called I Just Want to Fall in Love, which is really good too. After they, they left Atlantic in 1989, they put out one album on Fantasy Records. There's a song on there called Memories of Allison. That album is not on any streaming service, but you can find it on YouTube. And that song is incredible. It's like an acapella song. I don't know. I've always been mesmerized by it. Hopefully somebody somebody listening here will go out and, and listen to it. Yeah, so there's quite a few deep cuts in there. You have any deep cuts? Any any ones that you were thinking of? Um, for me, uh, the one that stood out that in terms of like a deep cut was "Living a Little, Laughing a Little." I thought that was a really wonderful song. Yes, that uh, maybe not. Is that "Pick of the Litter"? I, can't I think it's actually the one before that. Okay, I think it's, it's, it's uh, uh, "New and Improved." New and Improved. New and Improved. Yeah, I think that was a single, but it's no one remembers it. I think it was a very mild top 40. Yeah, that's very mild. I think it may have got to 38. Yeah, like. But, you know, like you said, it, it's deep cuts sometimes, even singles that make it, that make the charts or even top 40 soul or whatever, they get forgotten because the big hits get all played on the radio. But, yeah, that's a good song, too. Yeah, that's a wonderful song that I honestly did not know of, really, because some of these other ones just overshadow it. And then one to mention, of course, that we talked about before earlier in the episode was Ghetto Child. I think that's Ghetto definitely a, definitely an essential Spinner's song. Singing I about a subject think... that they, they didn't really get very political on their records. You know, no. Tom, Tom, Tom Bell Tom Bell didn't do much political. He didn't rec- write many political songs or even record many political songs. That one is, I wouldn't call, even call it political, but it's definitely a topical song from that era, 1970 three or something like that yeah yeah and then probably the last one that i wrote down was together we make such sweet music that was i think they were still at motown and that was on the uh, second time around album yeah when they had gc cameron and bobby smith it was like right before they went to atlantic yeah there's also a motown song that i i really like too that uh didn't do much well didn't obviously didn't do anything on the pop charts but it's kind of a mile, also one of those mid-size hits. It's called Truly Yours. It came out in the mid-60s. Yeah. I think it was the follow-up to I'll Always Love You. And that's a good one, too, from the Motown era. I mean, so not every, not everything from the Motown era was <laughs> was real third, second rate. That, that's a good deep cut for people who want to hear what the spinners were up to at Motown, or what they could have could have done it Motown. It's almost like they could have been a contender. Like <laughs> I was thinking like Brando in uh on the waterfront. Yeah. Could have it, been a spinner. Could have been a contender. <laughs> yeah. We we could have been the tenths. We could have been the four tops. We ended up down here. We could have been 
the I miracles. Ended up, I ended up chauffeuring. I ended up chauffeuring Barry Gordy's daughter to school. I mean, it just doesn't just doesn't seem right for a group like the Spinners to have to do that, you know. Speaking of songs, Tom, um, have any of their songs been featured in films or TV shows? What was it last year? Or the year before, I was watching uh, Defy Bloods, mm-hmm. and in in that movie, one of the Spinners, I think it was a top twenty hit in seventy seventy four. I'm coming home. Playing it gets played in that movie, and I, when I was when I was watching, I was going, "Wow, you know." First of all, that's the damn Spinners. Second of all, that's a song that Felipe sings that song, but it's also a song that you know it doesn't get played as much as the classics do. And I was like, "Wow, that's a interesting choice by Spike Lee." Well, fit in with the scene and everything, but I was like, "Wow, that's a you know I gave him credit for that." You know, I was really excited actually. You know, I was like, "Wow," I told my wife, I said. That's the spinners. It's like, it's like, yeah, okay, whatever. But, uh, <laughs> also, uh, well, Rubber Band Man, of course, gets played in the Avengers. Is that uh, the Avengers? Yes. In game or is the Infinity? Which one is it? Is I it? think. Yeah, I think it's it's not the last one they made. It's the one they put out in 2018. Their songs get played in a lot of African American oriented movies that came out in the 80s, 90s. You hear a lot of the songs in there. That movie Crooklyn, there was there in there, and the songs get played in commercials, especially. This is more of like a sentimental reason. I mean, I think it's probably more well known with maybe some of our listeners who grew up in the '90s. But there was a movie called Beautiful Girls, and I remember there was uh, on the soundtrack and in the movie they played "Could I Be I'm Falling in Love," and that just stuck out to me. And also Donnie Brasco. I believe has working my way back to you. Yeah. I think that's played. Yeah. During. There's a, there's like certain songs that, that, that always get played in these movies. You know, could it be on falling yeah. in love? Um, rubber band man, of course. I'll be around. I'll be around. Always gets played in these things. I think I may have even heard that recently on, on something, but I can't remember what it was. And of course, how can we leave out space balls? I mean, you know, <laughs> <laughs> You know, I thought I knew everything about the spinners, but if you read these liner notes, I have a I have a spinners box set here called the Chrome Collection. Came out in two thousand three on Rhino. There's no mention of spaceballs in the in, in the liner notes in that one. There's no mention in this nineteen ninety one. And I was I was like I've seen that movie like I don't know maybe three or four times in my life. You know, when it comes on TV, sometimes I'll, I'll put it there just for a few cheap laughs. I know this. I know when the song got played in the movie, somewhere near the end, like three quarters of the way through, or something like that. But I don't remember at all them doing a song called "Spaceballs." <laughs> you know, it's it. You won't find it on any compilation. That's for damn sure. I wonder if the band even wants to remember that. Those guys even want to remember. This is not 1987. I wonder if the guys themselves <laughs> even want to talk about it. I mean, I did. I did. I I, I did check. You know, I think a couple of weeks ago I did check on their Wikipedia page mentions it. I must have, when I was reading it, I must have just glanced right over because it would be so hard to believe. The song itself, it's very 80s, very, very late 80s. It's got that that synth Mm -hmm. drum sound. You know, if you're expecting to hear a classic soul sound from the spinners, the song called Spaceballs, you ain't getting it. It's kind of like a cheap knockoff, too, of maybe Ghostbusters or something like that. You know, it's like a, I don't think it was ever, I don't know if it was ever released as a single. I mean... (laughs) I can't imagine anyone playing it, but when you hear it in the movie, I don't think it plays the whole song anyway. I think it only plays a little bit of it. I was just flipping through YouTube watching some old Spinners videos, and it comes up. 
You know, I'm like, what the heck is this? You know, it's like, <laughs> you know, for, the first thing I thought was that that it was a song that was released, but not in the movie. You know, one of those type deals. Mm-hmm. It's like somebody at Atlantic in 1987 said, uh, you guys want to be on this, want to be on a Spaceball soundtrack or something or, or whatever. And they, well, yeah, we'll get to spinners or something like that. But no, it's actually in the movie. You know? <laughs> and so, yeah, and I'm listening to this song. I'm like, okay, this, this is, I don't know. I don't know what to say. It's just, uh, it's just, I think every band has that, that weird moment in, in, in their catalog. That's got to be the weirdest, weirdest moment in the Spinner's catalog. I mean, I would, lo- I would love, I mean, I would love to interview or just, if I could ask Henry Fanbro one question, I'd probably ask him, do you remember recording baseballs? I wonder if he even remembers, <laughs> you know, it's like, it's, maybe he would just blow it off and go, well, yeah, I guess we did, you know, something like that. You're a Spinner's nut. Check it out. It's amazing. I honestly didn't know about it until you showed me. I was like, wait, what? And then, yeah, they that's they play the they sing the title song to the movie. And you're like, what? It is something. I mean, I I would imagine, I mean, if I went into catalogs of Temptations or the Four Tops or whatever, you know, you could probably find. I mean, the Four Tops, I think they did. I think they did a song in Greece, too. (laughs) I think they did. I think I'm going to have to double check that when I'm out of here. But I mean, I'm sure you could always you could always find some weird song in all these guys' catalogs. So, something, I'm, you know, it's a bad thing. I'm gonna spinner. make you left. Yeah, really hard left turn. Just a real, yeah. Okay, we'll do it. You know, I mean, at this, at this point in the in 1987, the spinners aren't exactly topping the charts anyway. So it's like, you know, okay, we'll do it. You know, they probably thought Spaceballs was going to be a monster movie. I don't think it was at the time. I think it became more of a cult classic. Yeah, I think it became more of a video and then cult and now cable mainstay, cable classic. I mean, but at the time, I think it was a disappointment. But I'm going to make you laugh, Tom. So that soundtrack is actually has a rockin' lineup. And it's everyone from like Jeffrey Osborne in Berlin to Van yes. Halen. Now, do you know them. who else is on the soundtrack? Is it we uh, mentioned them before. Oh, did we? Uh, is R and B group? Yes, R and B group. It's not the Temptations or anything. The Pointer Sisters. Oh, I should have known that. They're on that, huh? <laughs> I was like trying, trying to get some of that. I was shocked. Trying to get some of that Neutron Dance magic going there. Is it? A, is it? A, <laughs> well, they had the oh, song they had was called Hot Together. <laughs> oh boy, that's very. Uh, is it like a parody song or something? Is or is it just we're hot together? Or, I mean, if it's in Spaceball, I mean, it probably wasn't even in the movie. It was on their um, the 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 album from '86 called Hot Together, oh. and I think it just followed that you know like R and B synthy synthy sound that a lot of these groups had in the mid to late '80s. Yeah, it's just funny because I was just like, of all the groups in the world, it has to be <laughs> like the Pointer Sisters. We just can't. I can't escape them. Like no matter where I go, like <laughs> they're they're just always there. So funny. Well, one um, thing one thing we need to mention too is uh, Felipe leaving the group, which is um, Felipe leaving the Spinners in 1977, uh, and how he left. I mean, this is something I didn't know until I read the liner notes on that old Rhino compilation. Basically, what happened was. As the group got bigger, Felipe's ego got bigger. It just did. Mm-hmm. And, you know, Rubber Band Man, once that hit, it got even bigger. And and he basically 
wanted to lead the group. He wanted to he wanted to go solo, and but he also wanted if he was going to stay, he wanted the group to change their name to something like Felipe Win and the Spinners. You know, that's crazy. Yeah, or Felipe and the Spinners, or something like that. And you know, when you read the liner notes on on the box set and the album, you know, Felipe was a he was he was a lot to handle. You know, he was he's a genius soul singer. You know, I don't think that there's any there's not that many other soul singers from that era that sound like him. Maybe Al no. Green, maybe Al Green, because there's also a gospel background. But Wow. I mean, you know, and like I said, the Bobby Smith fans are going to get on me for this, but Felipe, he just, he was just pretty special, but also had some demons, you know, he had some problems and ego was one of the things. And he had issues with Tom Bell in the studio. And a lot of times I think Bobby Smith says that, uh, he was, you know, Felipe was always complaining about something and he always would come in the, always come in the dressing room and bring everybody down by his moods and stuff like that. So he had issues and he decided to leave. And this is early 1977. And Tom Bell begged him, to, Tom Bell told him to stay, you know, and the man, their manager told him to stay, but he, Tom Bell basically told him, look, you know, the, the spinners and you, they all go together. And his response is, was basically, you know, I am the, I am the group, you know, I am the spinners. Everything revolves around me. I, I'm the one that everyone's coming to see. And it's, it's kind of sad because his solo career did, did nothing, you know, and I really hate that to say it. Cause, you know, I listened to a bunch of this. He did three albums, solo albums, and they're just, well, they're just not that great. They're not that good. You know, the very, very middle of the road soul is just, you know, you could tell he's wandering. He's trying to find some sound. Actually, the the best thing he ever did as a solo artist was uh, 1979. He appeared on uh, Funkadelics, on a Funkadelic song and called Not Just Knee Deep. And that that's was a great one song. R&B. Yeah, that's an awesome, awesome funk song. And it was a number one R&B song. Uh, 1979 and he sings near the end of it there's a line in there something about i got ants in my pants you know and it's like, <laughs> yeah i i hate to say that's his best contribution to the song but it's sort of like he's ad-libbing at the end and he also you know george clinton produced one of his records one of his albums around that time period and he also did tours with funkadelic and there's some of that is on youtube and you know he gets a little spotlight with sadie stuff like that and you know he's real dynamic real dynamic on stage. And the one other thing I, I, I got to mention too, is that in the sometime in the early eighties, around 1980, he did a reunion tour with the spinners, with the, the rest of the guys and John Edwards. Yeah. So you had six guys up there. They did about three or four dates. And Henry said that everything was going great. And they even considered bringing him back, but Felipe's heart was still in being a solo singer. So, it just fizzled out, you know, and that's, that's too bad. And of course he passed away in 1984. He was only 43 years old, 43 years old. He passed away. He was singing at a, at a, he was singing at a club in Oakland and he had a heart attack. 
while he was uh, performing. And, and I think, you know, I mentioned Bobby Smith never gets mentioned in those great soul singers of the 70s surveys that you see. And Felipe doesn't get mentioned either. And a lot of that might have had to do because he died young. And But I wish I wish both of those guys and Felipe also, I wish I wish they would turn up on some of these lists. Because every, everyone who saw Felipe, everyone who saw him in concert or heard him sing, I mean, when he would sing in the around 1974 or something, when he would, when it was time for him to do his vocals, Tom Bell, other artists would want to come in and watch him sing. You know, other artists that were recording around in Philadelphia at the Sigma Sound Studios, you know, Teddy Pendergrass, and all these guys would come in and watch Felipe do his lead vocals. So he was a guy, just a rare, rare comet soul and soul music who just came flying through and i don't think he's forgotten because the spinner songs they still get played a lot but i don't think people really know his name that much anymore do you think part of the reason why that they might be um forgotten or overlooked by music critics or fans is because none of the singers broke out like or they none of the singers became like household names so like even like teddy pen Pendergrass. Right. He came from Harold Melvin in the Blue Notes, or Patti LaBelle from LaBelle, of course. Well, you know, like they're like they're sound singers that just became bigger stars, but like the spinners never really. Yeah, I did. Think, like I they think it has a lot to do with it. I mean, look, uh, given a better circumstance, maybe Felipe Wynn breaks out, you know, and has a few big hits after he leaves the spinners, but it, it didn't work out, and the other guys never wanted to leave. You know, mm-hmm. the other guys never wanted to leave the group. Bobby Smith never wanted to leave. Yeah, I think a lot of that has to do with, look, sometimes you leave a you leave a group and it works out. I mean, obviously, Teddy Pendergrass leaving Harold Melvin, I mean, he became an even bigger star on his own. Patty the Bell, obviously everyone knows Patty the Bell. She's a household name now, you know. <clears throat> and sometimes you, you know, Lionel Richie, Commodore, of course, that's a band. But sometimes you leave a group group or a band and it just doesn't happen and with yeah. felipe felipe thought it would happen and he thought it would happen because i just had a big hit with rubber band man yeah, who, who doesn't want to hear what i'm going to do next by myself and that didn't happen but they hadn't put out they haven't put out a new album since 1989 they put out that one album on fantasy in 1989 and that was the only album they did they did another album 10 years later which was a the same group with James Edwards and the original spinners. And it had covers of classic R and B songs, a couple of new songs, that, but for some reason they also covered some of their old hits on there too. And I was surprised about a couple of months ago, I found out that in August of this, of this month, they're putting out a brand new album. They are. Yeah, it's the it's the Whoa. first it's yes it's the first Spinners album. I think by the time this airs, it's going to be out already. And there's a couple sing there's a couple songs already on Spotify. There's a ballad and then there's like a mid tempo song, and it's going to be called "Round the Block and Back Again," and it's going to have it's all new material. I mean, this is not going to be one of those where they cover 
classics by stylistics or something like that. No, this is going to be all new material. And yeah, I'm, I'm curious to how the rest of the album is going to sound. It's not produced by Tom Bell, unfortunately. Um, and it's not on Atlantic. It's on like an independent label. So well, let's see what happens. I mean, good for them. This is like their first in like 30 years. 1989 was the last original material. So in my lifetime, there hasn't been a Spinner's album. So this is like <laughs> well, humongous. Look, I mean, I don't, <laughs> you know, I, I'm curious myself to hear what the, the whole album's going to sound like. I mean, should be, should be pretty good. I mean, who knows? I, I don't know. On there, I mean, they've got, they've got new members on there, stuff like that. Most of most of will... today includes. Uh, well, you got Henry Fambro. You got a couple other guys that have been there since the early twenty, like since two thousand nine. There's one guy who's been there since two thousand thirteen, and they've got a newer guy who just joined last year. And so let's let's see what they come up with. I mean, yeah, good for them. Maybe just getting a little uh, out there will help them with the Hall of Fame, but I doubt it. <laughs> I I am so looking forward to this now because I did not know this until you just mentioned that. Yeah, I think and it's, if it's uh, available, it's at the end of August. It's coming out. Oh my goodness! So it's going to be right after this episode drops. Yeah, there's a couple songs on Spotify already. I think there's another one coming out. So yeah, I mean, look, I'm kind of curious myself. I don't know much about it outside of that. They made a big announcement a couple months ago. Then they're on their Facebook page, you know, come, come, come here on Friday for a big announcement. It's like, so I show up and I thought maybe they were getting in the hall of fame or something like that. I was like, Whoa, this is good. you know what I mean? I was like, I don't, I don't want to, make it wanna, happen. can I just mention the, the guy's names real fast? Of I don't want to slide them on the, cause you know, they might listen. There's a guy, uh, two guys have been there since 2009, Marvin Taylor and Jesse Peck. Uh, newest members named C.J. Jefferson. You've got a guy there since 2013 named Ronnie Moss. And, of course, Henry Fambro, 83 years young. And it's amazing. Wow. And he's still, he's still doing it. I mean, he's still performing in concert, you know. God bless him. I don't know how he does that. Well, that's what ticks me off about the Hall of Fame. Here you have it. You know, let's get these guys in. Let's get Henry Fambro in while he's still, you know, now I'm getting upset. <laughs> we don't want to get you upset. No, Tom. no. Uh, uh, oh, man. Um, so, Tom, I did want to ask you, um, we pretty much talked about this. Uh, we can generally say that the spinners are well regarded by critics and historians, right? That's pretty much Again, yeah. I mean, let me just mention too their their biggest their biggest um, supporter, I believe, is Dave Marsh. Yes, big he music, does you know, like monster, the spinners. Big music critic, legendary Dave Marsh. He loves Philly Soul and he loves the Spinners. And one of the first things I ever heard, he was one of the first persons I ever heard when he on his radio show on Sirius XM was when he mentioned groups that should be in the Hall of Fame. He mentioned the Spinners. This was like maybe mm-hmm. twelve years ago, and I was like, wow, you know. And I, just never heard a critic mention that. This is even before they got nominated. And yeah, he's a big fan of the spinner. Even though he, even though in his book, I don't know if you've ever read his book, Heart and Soul. The Heart and Soul, The Heart of Rock and Soul came out in 1989, mm-hmm. where he lists his 1,000, 
I think it's 1001 Greatest Records Ever. And he's got three Spinners songs in there listed as the greatest ever. I'll be around. Could it be? And one of a kind. And except for one of a kind, he gets the lead singer's names wrong on the other two. Dave Marsh's uh, book, especially that one, it's, he, it's full of so many inaccuracies. He writes, and- he writes a whole like three paragraph thing on I'll be around with Felipe as the lead singer. <laughs> you know, and his whole his whole focus his whole focus on could it be I'm falling in love and I'll be around is on how Felipe changed the spinners, which of course he did, but it's all it's all Felipe. And I was reading it again this past week, and I was like, God, you know, I don't want to be a, I don't want to be a jerk, but I'm kind of tempted, like maybe to email him or something or tell him, Hey, are you ever going to correct this? He probably never will. But um, did you know you wrote about the wrong person singing on the spinner? He probably doesn't care. But but anyway, that that's always bugged me ever since that book came out. I mean, he picks a lot of great songs in that book, but there's also some inaccuracies here and there. I will say, Tom, I think because you said uh, Steve Miller was the real rock hall curmudgeon. I think it's really Dave. <laughs> well, yes, in terms of in terms of uh, in terms of the non com, it's it's yes. definitely Dave Marsh. Although I got to say though. I will say the one thing that shocked me was that it wasn't Dave Marsh who got the spinners on the ballot for the class of 2012. Oh, I know. It's great. You know the name, right? It was Cliff Bernstein. Cliff Bernstein. Who was, is, is, I guess still is the manager of Metallica. And I think in the past, maybe I think it was Red Hot Chili Peppers, but mostly rock groups. Right. Yeah. Somehow. And, because at the time they got nominated in 2012, Dave Marsh used to answer his emails. And for some reason I had his email address. I don't know where. I, I think I found it online back in those days. So I emailed him. I said, wow, you know, I think I said something like, hey, thanks for getting the spinners on the ballot. And he's like, no, that wasn't me. That was that was Cliff Bernstein. And to be honest, I didn't even know who that guy was. I had to look it up. I said, Cliff Bernstein? Who the hell is that? And I looked it up. I said, manager of Metallica? I said, but you know. Hey, the guy, he might be a, a, an R&B, R&B aficionado. Who knows? I mean, you, you can't, you can't, can't typecast people, I guess. No. But I was, I was, yeah, I was really surprised. I was surprised the Spinners got nominated, let alone Cliff Bernstein. And this, you know, I was looking at some of my old writings on the years that the Spinners were nominated. The only time I was ever, the only time I ever predicted that they would get in was the last year they were nominated, the class of 2016. That was really? the only that was the only time. The other two times they got nominated. The first year they got nominated, I didn't think they'd get in because the OJs didn't get in right away, the Dells didn't get in right away. And I thought, oh, you know, maybe they have a chance because hey, the spinners, you know, that's a name that jumps out on you on the ballot. But I was kind of skeptical. Then I think it took them three more years to get on the ballot, 2015. And that time around I was, yeah, I don't think so. I think my pessimism got him out of the Hall of Fame, but but the last the last time they, <laughs> the last time they were nominated, 2016, I thought, okay, I fell into that old trap that we all fall into sometimes. Oh well, they got nominated the year before, so maybe they got close, you know. And so the the non-com puts them back on the ballot, and they were the only vocal group on the ballot. I think they were the only vocal group. Yeah, they were only. And they, the reason I picked them, I think the reason I picked them that year is because they were the oldest group on the ballot, the oldest name. Mm-hmm. So I thought, 
know, maybe voters will look at that. Hey, who knows what vote total they got? Hall of Fame never reveals it. You know, maybe they got a low total. Maybe they got high, a medium total. I don't know. But that was the only time I, I really thought they get nominated. And, to, and actually in the last, what, five years now, almost six, I, I don't know. I just don't. I just don't see them popping back up on the ballot. You know, it's hard enough for R&B. It's hard enough for R&B groups to get R&B names to get nominated, let alone inducted. I mean, we're seven years now with Rufus and Chaka and that saga, right? Mm-hmm. And the Spinners were the last. And I looked. At, I had to double check this. But the Spinners were the last R&B vocal group to get nominated. Yeah, and yeah, that's the, been five years. Yeah, the, the class of twenty fifteen. Class of 2015, when they were nominated, the Marvelettes were nominated. And that was also the year the Five Royales got in as an early influence. Mm-hmm. And then, of course, back in 2012, they put all these, uh, I guess, backing groups in there, like the Miracles and the Famous Flames and all that. Mm-hmm. Um, Little Anthony and Imperials, 2009. And yeah. OJ's 2005, Dell's 2004. So it's hard enough for R&B groups to get nominated. They only get a few, three, four, if we're lucky, every year, let alone to get inducted. I mean, you can't get Cool in the Gang on a ballot. You can't get Barry White on a ballot. Harold Melvin, we can't get Teddy Pendergrass on a ballot. So I don't know. I think, you know, maybe I'm being too negative. I I just don't know if the spinners are just going to miraculously pop up there one year. I think time you know and we all know that they want to move the timeline forward more right you want to get Mm -hmm. you know they want to get more 80s 90s boys to men going to get nominated before the spinners ever get in i i I don't know i don't know i mean i mean look i mean i think it's you can't even get you can't even get chaka in there let alone rufus with chaka i mean we couldn't get chic in there either they were they were too much disco for the voters so i don't know what's going to happen with the spinners um I mean, where would they fit in as as a in a special category? I mean, early influence. Uh, I don't know. Um, I mean, you can't get Tom Bell in there either. He's not in the Rock Hall either. I but Gamble and Huff are, so it's so weird. You can't get. I mean, the Spinners. I mean, you're gonna early influence uh, musical excellence. Yeah, sure, musical excellence. What the hell? Why not? Right. So, but you need you need a champion on there. You know. I, is Cliff Bernstein still on there? He might still be on. He there. is still on there. Yeah, that. So he's probably moved on. I mean, who knows? Or maybe he's not even involved that much in in the nominees every year. You know, some guys don't attend the meetings, but they just send a uh, an email with their picks. You know, but you got to have somebody in that in that damn room who's going to s- stand up. You know, we have somebody in there now who's who's uh, getting chalk on every year. But you got to have somebody on there who wants to get cool in the gang or the spinners on there. You got to make the case, and I think I think as the, as the time has gone by, we're up to six, almost five, six years. I don't know. I'm rambling on about it, but uh, no, I think kind of I kind of I'm not seeing a whole lot of hope for groups of that that era. I mean, I think Cool in the Game will get nominated eventually. I mean, Commodores too. Uh, yeah, yeah, that's another group. It's unreal. You had Commodores. I know it's a podcast on the spinners, but you think about the Commodores. I mean, they one of the biggest groups also of of, of the mid-70s into the early 80s. I mean, this is a big group. I mean, they're kind of almost right behind Earth, Wind, and Fire in terms of crossover, right? I mean, look at – yeah, you can't even get Lionel Richie nominated. I mean, this is guy one of the biggest pop stars of the 80s. <laughs> I mean, and he has a Kennedy Center honor. Yeah. <laughs> 
Yeah, a lot of these people are getting honors outside of the Rock Hall. You know, I mean, the spinners, one thing I found out about the spinners, too, that, that just shocked me is that they never got a Grammy Award. No. They were nominated six times, all I think all through the Felipe years, maybe working my way, but never got a Grammy Award. I don't think they've ever, I don't think they got any of one of those Grammy Lifetime Awards either. I mean, that's kind of shocking, really. They were probably up against best group. In those years, you know, best group would be what? Gladys Knight and the Pips a lot. And she won a lot of Grammy Awards in those days. Earth, Wind, and Fire. I mean, you're nominated in the best group vocal performance. Although Tom Bell did win, uh, he did win the first Producer of the Year Award. Uh, in 1974, actually given out in 1975 for the year 1974, Tom Bell is the very first, something I didn't know either until recently, very first Producer of the Year Award. And when you think about it, if that's for the year 1974, that's mainly for him producing the spinners. And also the stylistics had big hit with You Make Me Feel Brand New. So, well, it's as close as the spinners got to winning a Grammy, I guess. It's, but No, you saw that. that yeah. You, that's a, that's a, that 1975 you saw the 1975 Mighty Love performance of uh, the Spinners that they do at the Grammys. That that's, that was phenomenal. Yeah, that's that's just that's kind of you know it's kind of their shtick back in those days. You know they would have Felipe just do his thing, but it's still I mean if you only see it first time it's like man this is pretty exciting you know. And looking at looking at some of their moves also on that PBS special. There's a PBS special for people out there listening called soundstage that they did in 1976. And it looks to me like it's pretty much almost one of the last performances that Felipe does with the group. And, you know, he's doing rubber band man and all that stuff. And these guys, (laughs) these guys have got some choreography going on here. I mean, you know, everything, everything is very, very tight. I mean, the choreography is just incredible. I mean, they're moving. You know, it's, like I told you before, I, if I could go back in time, I would watch, definitely see them in 1975 or something on stage. You know, but yeah, that Grammy performance is incredible. There's a there's a shot in there, I think, about two minutes in where Stevie Wonder's in the audience. And he's clapping along and, you know, moving along to Felipe doing his thing on Mighty Love. And it's like, it's like almost like a five minute gospel, gospel rave up, something you'd see in a church. I mean, I would, I'd love to yeah. show, if I had to show, if I had to show any Rock Hall voters out there one video and say, this is why the spinners were so great. That's probably one of the first ones I'd show them. Mm-hmm. So watch this and tell me this, this, these guys weren't one of the best, best groups, best soul groups ever and best groups of the seventies. I mean, this, this is, this is phenomenal stuff here. I think you need to show it to Stephen Van Sant oh, because I remember, um, I remember when we were doing, um, I, I mean, well, I was writing my Rock Hall Prospects project and I was talking to you about it because oh. I wanted you to read the entry first. And then I was like, Tom is like really a good researcher too. I will say that like, I, I consider myself a good researcher, but I think Tom is really great too. And I had to like verify with him because I'm like, did little Steven call the spinners music mindless, emotionless, meaningless crap? And yes, he did. He did. Because that you was I, in 
billboard. Yeah. You know what I think he was referring to was disco music in the rock hall. Mm-hmm. And I think he was referring to working my way back to you, uh, the spinners cover. I think he was referring to that song. And then somebody asked him about, I don't know how it was. He, then he answered that with that, with that stupid ass reply of his. And, you know, if you want to know why, what can I say? I mean, it, golly, I remember, I remember reading that quote. I think it came out almost 10, maybe 15 years ago. It's, it's a quote from way back, probably when the spinners mm-hmm. got nominated or something like that. And yeah, I saw that. And I said, God damn this guy. I mean, <laughs> I, my first reaction was, you can't be talking about the spinners of the, of the Felipe years because this is a guy who actually likes R&B music. I mean, he actually, yeah. I mean, if you look at, you look at little Steven's music that he's doing now on stage that he does outside of the E Street band, it's R&B influenced. I mean, he produced Southside Johnny and the Asbury Dukes records back in the seventies and Southside mm-hmm. Johnny is like an R&B singer. You know, That's like you know, so for him to say something like that, you know, it's like, no, I, I think at the time I remember thinking, yeah, no wonder they can't get in the Hall of Fame if people like that, if other people like that are thinking like him or if he's on the non-com, you know, maybe he's going, no, 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 no. We're not going to have that type of stuff on here. You know, you know who knows? But um yeah, there's there's a few there's a few you know when I when I, when I said before you know you know one of the things I always say when I when I talk about some people some groups is I always say well who doesn't love so and so you know and so with the spinners it's like who doesn't love the spinners you know it's just real feel good music right I mean it's incredible feel good music who doesn't love the spinners and then I you know I think I think the first or second year they got nominated there was a rock hall voter who has a blog. And he got on there saying how, why the spinners, why he's not voting for the spinners, you know, basically saying that they were not very original, that they were more like uh, a producer's group and so on like that. And I just, I think I replied on there to him. You know, I got, I got (laughs) so ticked. I usually don't reply on these things. You know, I don't really want to get into back and forth and, you know, it's his opinion, you know, but it just so ticked me off. And I even posted about it on Facebook the minute I read it. And I was surprised. I think it's one of the on Facebook is when I posted his his uh, slam of the spinners and why he wasn't voting for them and why they weren't that great or whatever. I got a lot of replies. It's one of the most replies I've ever got on a Facebook post, and I got a lot of replies from critics. You know, my, uh, critics of of today. The you know the new era critics, not the Dave Marshes, but more the the double O's, the nineties, and they all said. You know, this guy don't know what he's talking about. This, this is one of the greatest groups ever. You know, so I felt a little bit better after reading that. But yeah, you know, there, there are, you know, look, no one ever likes anyone 100%, right? I mean, there are people who didn't like the Beatles, <laughs> you know, or they didn't like all of the Beatles albums or they, you know, there's people, I know there's a lot of people who hated Elvis, you know, and I try and keep my head when I think about this stuff. But, you know, when it comes to the spinners, it's like, yeah, there's there's a few. I mean, there was one guy on Facebook who who slammed uh, "Games People Play." He said it was, a, it was an awful song or something like that. And I was like, I said, "You got the right song?" He's like, "Yeah, I can't stand that." Like, and he's a music critic, and I was like, "God dang, man!" 
you know, so I was just shocked. You know, I thought it was, I thought they were one of those groups that everybody loved. And for the most part, they are one of those groups that everybody loves. And, but you know, there's, there's a few people out there and, you know, we're talking hall of fame. And so if you think about that guy who doesn't vote for the spinners, there's probably more out there that are like that too, that, that voted that way when they saw the spinners saying, well, you know, I like, they got some good songs, but that's probably why they didn't get in. They were also on competitive ballots in a weird way. And it's like, I think in like when they were nominated to, that's when there was more of an emphasis on populism and especially classic rock artists getting in. So like some of these ballots that they were on, it's just like, you know, I thought their best shop leader out was 2015 to get in because it was a little bit, it wasn't quite as strong, some of the selections as a whole. So I felt like maybe they had a decent shot, but that was the year Bill Withers got in and um, Paul Butterfield Blues Band. Yeah, the first year I did, like I told you, the first year I wrote it off, I said, you know, I'd be surprised if I wake up that morning and hear their name called. Uh, 2015, yeah. Definitely 2016, only because I, like I said, they were they kind of had an avenue there, you know. They kind of really had an avenue to get in there. I can't remember who else got in in 2016. Uh, Steve Miller, Deep Purple, NWA, uh, Chicago, and Cheap Trick. Okay, so basically no R&B. <laughs> no, I mean well, maybe Chicago a little. Yeah, but Chicago's I mean, a little yeah. bit. Uh, Chicago had an R&B influence, and in, in their songs in the seventies did. Uh, but they're Miller, not. Really. I don't really think so. But uh, I can't remember the last cheap trick R&B song they did. But no, no, no R&B that year. I think the JBs nominated that year too. They were, and that was Shaka Solo, and and there was. Yeah, Shaka Solo, uh, um, Spinners, the JBs, and I feel like there's someone else. But I think that was it. Oh, Janet. Of course, Janet. Janet Jackson. This this is what I mean. I mean, you know, when it comes to the Rock Hall, the stuff that just makes you just tear out the rest of my hair, you know, Janet Jackson, one of the biggest stars ever. Everyone knows Janet. First ballot. (laughs) I mean... How crazy is that, you know? And here, you know, look at yeah. Chaka Khan. Seven years now, right? I mean, she's one of the, who doesn't know a Chaka Khan song? Who doesn't know who Chaka Khan is? Yeah, I mean, yeah. So you can't get Janet on a first ballot. You know, at least we got Whitney in on the first ballot, but I, I don't know. We'll we'll see what happens. I don't have much much hope. I don't have too much hope as as the timeline moves forward, unless they go back I, and slot some of these people in there. I'd love to see Tom Bell get in there at least. Yeah. I I will say, Tom, in all honesty, I put them at number 18 on my prospects project list that I finished earlier this year. And I think the thing with the spinners that really helps them is that John Sykes, who is the new chairman, has put an emphasis on like inclusion and diversity. So I feel like, you know, yeah, on the one hand, mm. you're seeing like this um, forward thinking model at hand right so you saw like mary j blige get a nomination and other artists like that but it wouldn't shock me especially because their songs are continuously featured in movies and tv and multimedia it wouldn't shock me at all if the spinners made a return to the ballot at some point they just have they 
that. Might, like I said, they might sneak in on there, you know, uh, as as a nod to that era. You know, I I still expect I still expect Cole in the game to get in get nominated pretty soon also. But yeah, I could see it, you know, definitely to a nod of that era. You know, R and B vocal groups, I, I don't know if there's any gonna be any more. I you know, Marvelettes have had a couple chances, I think two chances and I I don't know. I just um This is the reason why I continue to follow the Rock Hall. It's because there's always somebody that I'm rooting for every year. I'm rooting for them to get nominated. And then if they even if they don't get nominated, I'm rooting for somebody on the ballot to get in. And I want to hear that damn name mm-hmm. called <laughs> come, you know, whatever it is now, April or something. I want to hear that name. And then, you know, when you don't hear it called, you don't hear Chaka's name called, you're like, man, you know, but then you might hear a name you like called. You're like, oh, okay. Bill Withers. Cool. You know? And so that, that's why I think we all keep following the hall. There's always somebody that we're rooting for, you know, and you know, you're rooting for the pointer sisters, you know, you want to hear their name called on the day of the nominees. You know, when you don't hear them called, your first thought when you don't hear these people called, as nominees especially, is, I got to wait another year. You know, mm-hmm. it's like, I might not even be here in another year. You know, I want to I hear that name called now. I want to hear the Pointer Sisters called now. I want to hear the Spinners again. You know, and I'm sure a lot of the Rock Hall watchers, they want to hear their favorite person nominee. And when they're not, it's, it's definitely a letdown. But that's, that's, that's what keeps us coming back, though, you know. I think that at, we're at a point in the Rock Hall watching world, or or more broadly, a, a, as people who follow the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, I'm at a point, at least for me, that I'll take a win whenever I can. Yeah. And you know what? It's not the end of the world if they get musical excellence or whatever a category, because at the end of the day, it doesn't matter. Like Once you're in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame... Yeah. You're in. Yeah. I so think- for me, Go ahead. you you get to a point where, you know, some people get very nitpicky and almost whiny about it. Right. And to me, it's like, well, you know, you can't always get everything you want exactly how you want it. But, you know, when you read um, an epigraph or something, when someone passes away, they don't say like, you know, L. Cool J inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame viva the musical excellence no. category. No, they're going to say Rock and Roll Hall of Fame inductee L. Cool J. Yeah, look, I mean, I think yeah, I think we talked about this too when when the nominees were announced, when the inductees were announced. You know, you know, God forbid it never happens for another forty years or so. But you know, you read L. Cool J's obituary, the first, like you said, the first one of the first things in there is uh, going to be, you know, rapper and. Rock and Roll Hall of Famer, LL Cool J, you know, you're going to see, it's always going to get mentioned near the top. Anytime you read someone, yeah. anytime you read an obituary about someone who passed away, even now, with you know, a lot of these acts getting older, you always see the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame mentioned in there. But they never say, but he got in as a musical excellence, you know, or, or craft work. Early yeah, influence. craft work. He got early, in, you know, craft work. They got early influence. I mean, you're not going to see that. I don't know if All Music Guide has changed their thing on Kraftwerk, their biography, but I have a feeling that you know if they add Hall of Rock Hall of Fame, they're not going to go. Yeah, but they got in as early influence. You know, they're probably just going to say 
inducted in the Rock Hall in 2021, you know. So, mm-hmm. yeah, I, I'm at the point now, I know there's some traditionalists out there who don't like it, but you got to move on. You, you can't, the timeline's moving on too, and I really could care less. I mean, I wish they had put Sheik in there as musical excellence. I could have cared less if they put Sheik in as musical excellence, you know. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I would that would have been great for me, you know, instead of the way they did it. I mean, I wouldn't have had a problem with that. I have no problem at all with them just saying, okay, you know, I mean, no one, LL's not getting in. I mean, they're not going to vote him in, you know, and you're going to sit in that, that boardroom or whatever, or wherever they're sitting in that meeting room, and that's what they're saying. They're saying, you know, LL's not, they're not voting him in. So let's stop, let's stop playing around here. Let's just put him in. Musical excellence. Yeah, I mean, it may it may but, it may not sound like the right category. You may want to put like a, a hip hop or you know I don't know how you do, it, but I don't have a problem with it. You know, and right now with Shaka, you know, seven nominees, she's going to get nominated again, and they're not going to vote for it. It's just stupid, stupid. Just put her in, just put her in, I, or put Rufus in with her, and you know, however, she's musical excellence anyway, right? I mean, look who she's in. she's influenced a million million singers just put her in Mm -hmm. the hell with it you know i think people forget too tom that like when you do that you're also taking away a spot usually from a a, that genre so it's like you're never gonna know how some of these other artists do like for the spinners like we don't know how they would do if they were never nominated just like we don't know how the commodores or corona gang Patty LaBelle. There's so many names that come immediately to mind that just, it creates more of a backlog. So you kind of have to get as many people in while you can in order to try to alleviate it. But there's such a backlog to the point that they can never really catch up, at least in a sufficient time for these artists to enjoy the inductions in their lifetime. Because to me, one of the things I will say is that it is a shame that if the spinners don't get inducted while there's one living surviving right. member left and he's 83 years 83 old, like years time old. is not on their side. Like you have to try to get them in. This is, this is one of the things that if I could sit at that nomcom when they meet again next year is this is one of the things I would bring up, you know, I'd say, look, it's not just, I'm not just saying put them in because, Henry's 83 years old. I'm saying put them in also because they're one of the greatest groups of all time. They're one of the greatest yeah, groups of all time is basically what they are. And there's one member. Also, there's one member left. And he was with that group from the beginning. He was with them since 1954. He's a founder of the group. I mean, this man deserves to get into the Hall of Fame while he's still alive, and the fact that he's still out there performing at this age. So let's get him in right now. That would be my pitch. And if some little Steven or whatever the hell gets up and starts complaining or whatever, I'm just going to tell him to just sit sit back down. You know, I'm sure other people on there have gotten a lot of their favorites in there. They've gotten a lot of their favorites on the ballot. He's gotten some of his inducted in non-performer categories or whatever. That's what I'm going to say. And I don't think many people would have a problem if I say, you know, whether I, I don't know, if I say 
nominate them again, or let's put them in a special category here. I mean, they have been performing since 1954. I mean, let's let's just get this over with. You know, I don't know how many people would be complaining. You're not, you know, that, that's that's the way I would approach it. Definitely. I think they definitely deserve another nomination. At least. And that would be their fourth. Yeah, that would be their fourth. I know, at least give them one more shot. Right? Dang. Now, one last thing I did want to ask you, Tom, and I ask this to every guest on the show, is if there's anything that you could change in the spinner's career, what would it be? And it really could be anything. It could be a decision that they made, like business decision, or it could be uh, turning down a song. Maybe that could have been a really big hit for them, but it was for someone else. Well, So I'm just genuinely curious your answer. Well, if I could change one thing, I wish he had stayed in the group at least for more years, for a few more years than he did. I wish he hadn't. I mean, Tom Bell may have may have run his course with the spinners, but I would like to have seen what Felipe could have done moving forward, with different producers. And I wish he, you know, maybe he could do a solo album, but then bounce back into the group. I don't know, something like that. But I wish he hadn't left when he left so early. I mean, nineteen. I mean, he left like in January '77. I mean, and he was only there for like five, six years, just too early to leave for me. I wish he had stayed around a few more years, at least through the eighties. Let's see. Let's see what happens. And that's, that's the one thing I wish could have changed for the spinners. I think that's a great answer. Cause I was kind of, that was actually one of the things I was thinking about when I was it's really the, trying yeah. to figure out if I was to answer this question too. Tom, it was so nice having you on the show as a guest. I'm very honored that you were able to join us and talk to us about one of your favorite groups. Well, it was you know, really an honor. The way I look at it is that the Spinners, they, they deserve more. They deserve a huge, big documentary. They deserve, <laughs> they deserve a million podcasts devoted to them. And I'm glad that, I'm glad that you're probably the first one that's podcast about their career. Yeah, I don't, and I don't know thanks. if anyone else has had them out there. Maybe they have, but uh, but I think they deserve all the all the all the rewards, all the accolades, and uh, I'm, I'm very honored to have got on the show and talk about them. Thank you so much, Tom, for um, the kind words and uh, the support. Yeah, I was shocked that like no one talked about the spinners really because they're one of those like famous groups that sometimes we take for granted, and I just think that we need to shine a bigger spotlight on them because they are truly special. And just like their song, they're one of a kind. Yes. Happiness is being with the spinners. Oh, that is, <laughs> that should be a mantra that yes, could. Yes, that should be the title <laughs> of, the do- of their documentary. <laughs> uh, Tom. Um, so where could they find you on social media? You can find me at, uh, I have a blog wonderfully titled Tom Lane's music blog and you can just Google that and you can find me there. Facebook, Tom Lane. Always got some things happening there. But Twitter I'm at at JetFan1. You guys could of course follow the podcast uh Twitter account which is at Rock in Retro Pod. And of course you could follow me 
on my personal Twitter at Nick D. Bamback. Also, something I'm going to ask our listeners to do, we haven't had one yet, is leave a review on Apple Podcasts. I'm curious to hear your guys' thoughts on the podcast. Let us know uh, what you think, and hopefully it's all good stuff. Thank you once again for Tom Lane coming on to the show and talking to us and giving us such a wonderful take on one of his favorite groups. Thank you guys again, and we'll talk to you later.